Welcome to a podcast for moms. Hey everyone, I'm Julia Sparkman. I'm the host of a podcast for moms. If you are a returning listener, thank you so much. I truly appreciate your support. If this is your first time listening, welcome. Really happy to have you here. Super excited about today's episode. Annie Warshaw is today's guest and she was one of those women, if you've listened before, I shared that one of my intentions for starting a podcast for moms was figuring out how some moms actually do it. So she was one of those moms that I looked at and I was like, how is it possible that she does all the things that she does? She's as present as she is with her children. She dresses as fabulously as she does. And her house is as cool as it is because she has a super cool house, awesome style, and she is just dynamically involved in the world. So Annie Warshaw, she's a mom of three. All of her kids are under five. She's the co-founder and CEO of Mission Propel and Youth Alliance Yoga. She's a gender justice professor at Roosevelt University. She's also a school board representative in Skokie School District. That's in Illinois, outside of Chicago. And my personal favorite, she is the co-host and executive producer of the Sports.com podcast with her son, Grant. So super official title, that last one. And like I said, you know, she's super involved in the world. Not only all those titles I listed, those are her professional roles. She's also involved in a lot of political organizations and other nonprofits in her community. So she's just like, very much out there in the world doing the damn thing. And I'm really happy that I got to ask her how she does it all. And she shared how she does it all. And she shared that she does it all through strategically planning her time. And mostly she says that it's possible because she has an equitable equitable partnership with her husband. And that's something that we spend a lot of time talking about during our episode is gender equality. We talk about gender equality at home, gender equality in relationships, and specifically gender equality at work. Mission Propel, the company that she's the co-founder of, they recently pivoted in the pandemic to be a consultancy that helps corporations and nonprofits to create sustainable environments for working parents. And her and her co-founder, Jill, they were prepared to make that offering because both of them were moms who more or less did their other jobs with very little help from outside entities. They weren't sending their kids to daycare or had nannies. So they truly learned how to time manage and build in that equitable partnership with their significant other. So we talk about that and she shares a few other things about how she makes it possible to do everything that she does. And After our conversation, I thought of this quote that my friend Kelly, who will be a future guest on the podcast, she shared this quote on Father's Day on Instagram. It's a Gloria Steinem quote, and it says, women will never be equal outside the home until men are equal in it. And during the conversation I had with Annie, she shared a little bit about a few articles that she presents in her gender justice classes at Roosevelt University. And she was saying how she doesn't know if the articles that she's sharing with these 
college age people, I almost said children, but we'll call them people, these college age people, if they're registering, you know, like motherhood before we were moms, before we were parents, we couldn't really grasp what it would be like to be a parent once we became a parent. It's all very theoretical. And had I heard that Gloria Steinem quote in college, women will never be equal outside the home until men are equal in it. I was like, I would be like, oh, of course I agree with that. Yet I don't, I wouldn't have understood the weight of that quote until now. And I do want to caveat by saying my husband is really supportive at home. He does help with the dishes. He helps with other things around the house. I've never watered a plant since we've moved in. He, you know, has a lot of things that he takes on. However, there's just this certain element of moms carrying the mental load of family work. And Annie and I talk about that. And we also talk about how she makes it possible to kind of offload some of that work through strategic planning with her partner. So I'm excited for you to hear all of that because I know if you're listening, you too probably want women and men to be equal at home and outside of the home. And so Annie offers us insights as to how we can create that equity at home. She talks about how she's building um, gender equity within her parenting. She has two sons and one daughter. So we talk about that. And we also share, she shares a little bit about Mission Propel and how she's helping businesses to create environments where their employees that are parents feel supported in their workplaces as parents, because you go to work and you're still a parent, right? I had a lot of laughs with her. I'll be honest, in the beginning of our conversation, we were laughing really hard, but I had to cut that part out because there was some, um, her husband had to come in the room and her son was in the room. And so I just kind of broke us right into the conversation where there was a little bit less um, going on. So without further ado, here's Annie Warshaw on a podcast for moms. I hope you learn as much as I did. I hope you laugh as much as I did. Enjoy. Prior to starting um, your journey to conception, what ideas did you have around motherhood and what did you think it was going to be like before you actually got to the place where you were ready to have a, have a kid? I, I don't think my day-to-day does not align to what I thought it was going to be. Like, I think I always had a very realistic and healthy understanding of that sort of stuff. Maybe because I've worked with kids since I was like, forever, you know, I mean, I've been babysitting forever and just have been around little kids. I think maybe the bigger shift or surprise for me was more around how we value moms. And I didn't truly like understand uh, how we as a society understand motherhood or viewed it until I became one. And I think that's like, you know, with most causes, right? Most people don't advocate or get passionate about things that don't directly affect them in some way. Unless, you know, like, uh, for example, the Black Lives Matter movement, like, white people are affected. Not They're not just getting involved because it directly relates to them. They know it's the moral and right thing to do. But I think with like motherhood, like if you're a single gal or even not in your 20s, you're not like thinking about like how society views mothers and the repercussions of that, or at least I wasn't, you know? So I think for me, once I became a mom, 
my feminism got deeper because I was like, I mean, IVF really started that too. Just like, how do we value women's bodies? What do we know about women's bodies and all of that? But once I became a mom, I think for me, that was like the thing that didn't match. Not that it didn't match expectations. I didn't even know what to expect in terms of valuing moms, if that checks. Definitely. And I mean, we'll talk about it, but you, um, you teach gender justice. So I'm sure you had had a lot of opinions about women and um, motherhood prior, but what would you, how would you explain? But I didn't, I didn't have opinions about, I mean, like I had opinions about women and our reproductive justice, but I didn't have opinions about like motherhood. Like for example, in my class, I have students read um, like two articles about moms one is about like the um, history of how we like got to this place of moms having to do it all and how honestly it was a very concerted effort by the right in the 1980s and going through that history. I mean, it's important and impactful for me. I don't know if as a 19 year old, they're like, yeah, F that, you know what I mean? Like, whereas now like it's, it resonates so deeply that I like feel really connected to it. And then I also have them always read an article about like, um, the sexualization of boobs and, and breastfeeding laws and like why we devalue breastfeeding and why people are so uncomfortable with it. Yet we, you know, all within the lens of like breasts are meant for the male gaze in our society. And I have them read that, but I don't know if like when I, if I would have put that course together before being a mom, if I would have like included that article, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you, you didn't start teaching until after you had your son, correct? Yeah. Like my first semester was, he was five months old. So yeah. Okay. And, um, I do want to talk about your IVF journey because I know that's important. Um, that was an important part of you becoming a mom, but something that you had said that I wanted to just jump right into as you're like, you know, the, the fact of moms doing it all. And when I look at you and even on the Warshaw for 68 website, cause you are <laughs> a school board representative, you know, on top of all the other things that I shared that you are, um, you say on there, I'm a mom who works and parents full time. It a hundred percent from the outside seems like you do it all. Not only do you have like an immaculate home, I'm like looking at the wall behind you. <laughs> do you have like a, a a more picturesque like Zoom background? You know, you have amazing style. Your home is beautiful. You know, your kids seem very well adjusted. You're the um you were the preschool pod parent for, you know, you you taught preschool to your kids pod during the pandemic and then you do so many other things. So how how do you do it all? And and how do you manage being a mom with all of your other roles? And uh and what does that feel like at the end of the day? Um, uh, hmm, Julia, (laughs) I mean, we built an entire business on how to teach, like not how to do it all, because I don't think that's a thing, right? Like, I think there are times where you feel like you're really good at one thing and maybe not doing so great at the other thing. I do feel pretty balanced. Like I don't go to sleep at the end of the night thinking like, I was a really crappy employee today, but a good mom or vice versa. Like, but I also have the ability to create what work looks like because I own my own companies, you know? Um, And I do think there is a difference. I mean, based on the work that Mission Propel is doing now and our coaching clients, like the autonomy I have to say, 
I don't want to have a meeting today because I know that's not going to be productive. And this is what I need to do right now in terms of the amount of time I have to work. Like I get to choose that. So I never really feel bad about my outputs because I'm still meeting goals and expectations or whatever, because I have so much control over my time with that. I mean, that is something we teach people how to do. Um, I mean, I'll be frank. At the end of my pregnancy, did I feel like I was like the best preschool teacher in the world? No, because I was like a whale sitting there. <laughs> I'd be like, children, clean up for me <laughs> and come sit in my lap because I can't move. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's about just being really strategic with your time, um, understanding like it's it is not my job to be my children's clown. Like my kids are really independent. They know how to play independently. And I don't feel bad about that. Like I know that that's to benefit them and, and it is a skill to them. And like, yes, my house is always really clean, but I'm not doing it alone. I have a really supportive partner. We each have really clearly defined um, jobs, if you will, within the house. Our kids are involved in every aspect of our day in terms of cleaning, you know, and if they don't feel like cleaning, it's not a power struggle. We talk about it all being around skill based, um, like trying to build those skills for them. So, um, you know, like I like our kitchen to be perfect before the kids go to um, we have camp now in my backyard um, and they, you know, they each help and like we work together as a team and that allows it to look nice, but also is building skills and allows us to be together. So like, we're still getting quality time together. Um, so because I, we're also integrated with one another, it allows us to not feel like I'm drowning, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when you said clearly defined roles, what does that look like? Do you guys have conversations around that? Do you have things written down? Is it just kind of like you've been flowing so long, you know? Yeah. What? Um, I mean, just a lot of conversations. Again, this is like one of the things that we do in, in Mission Propel is like we help families not only have like really defined roles, but um, do like an evaluation of is our partnership equitable? What needs to shift? I mean, Steve and I have been together now 15 years. The amount of conversations we have had about this like, <laughs> is exorbitant, you know, Um And then there are things too that I just, I know about our relationship. And, you know, before we had kids, I said, Stephen, our marriage is too important. Like we're going to have someone come in and clean the house. And I'm not going to pretend that I don't have someone come do that every two weeks because I would rather work more, make more money and have someone clean my toilets than me clean my toilets. But there, you know what I mean? But there was a point where like last year there was no coming in. So in the, on those circumstances or like during that time, like we had really clearly like, okay, Right now you're giving the kids a bath. So I'm going to clean the bathroom while we're all, or you're going to clean the bathroom while the kids are taking a bath and like kill two birds with one stone. You could be watching them safely instead of just sitting there. Like that task is done, you know? So just really having conversations and being really strategic and um, checking in with each other uh, about like what we can and can't do, what our capacities are. Um, and, and just trying to stay on top of everything. I feel like the second you like let one thing go, then it spirals. Like having three kids, you think having one kid is a lot of laundry. Holy crap. Having three kids is like an insane amount of laundry. <laughs> so like if we don't do the laundry every day, then it just becomes like a mountain. And then you're spending an hour and a half versus six minutes, you know? Um, and I, yeah. And I also just don't believe in like, I don't know if, 
I hate Zoom. Like I don't do Zoom. I'm always on calls so that I can be like cleaning something or folding laundry or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so let's just jump also to Mission Propel because that's something I really wanted to talk about. Mission Propel started as Smarty Pants Yoga. So that's how I initially um, knew of your business. And you then transitioned it to Mission Propel, which is uh, gender justice programs for mainly girls. And do you offer them to boys as well in elementary school settings? So it's not... (laughs) It's been quite an evolution. Um, so Mission Propel that you're referencing, like kids programming is now called Youth Alliance Yoga. Yay. Oh, and that's, okay. it's open to all genders and identities. Um, so that branch, which works within schools to teach kids gender equity using mindfulness and yoga. Um, you know, once schools closed last year, we didn't really have work. So we had a pivot. Uh, yeah, the word funny. of like pivot. 2020. Uh, so, so that, uh, so youth Alliance yoga, yay, is like still a thing. It's gearing back up for, um, fall. We're trying to figure out what we want to do with it though, because the work that we're doing, we are very excited by, like we had been doing the yoga stuff for like seven years and it was I don't know, the same old, same old. So this is exciting and new and fun. And, um, so basically we looked around last year and, Everybody was really struggling once lockdown happened. And Jill and I were like, wait a minute, we're not. <laughs> Why aren't we struggling? Oh, wait, because we haven't had childcare and we've been running this company. And so like, we know how to do this, whereas everybody else is expected to do this in like a day and figure it out. And plus our partners were home. So we're like, and now we even have even more help. Like, this is the dream. <laughs> um, you know, like, I'm, I'm really happy everything's opening back up, but it also is like, sad. Like we've had a really lovely year together. Um, and so, so yeah, so we were like, okay, what skills do we have and what can we help people learn? And, um, we did a ton of research. We researched almost 300 women, you know, single, queer, you, you name it, you think it. And to try and understand what was going well and what wasn't going well. And then like, how could we develop programming based on that? So um, we rebranded. So Mission Propel now partners with corporations and nonprofits to create sustainability and keep moms from dropping out of the workforce. Um, And so we do that by coaching their employees on a lot of the things you and I have been talking about. And then we do policy and data analysis of the company and say like, look, we took care of your employees. Um, here's what you need to shift to create sustainability, like policy and culture wise. Can you give me some of the examples of shifts that happen in the workforce um, to better support parents? Yeah. Um, so a big theme is that we see a lot is like, there might be great policy, but implementation it's very like robotic. And so there's like a dehumanization almost in that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just having more like empathy uh, towards employees um, is just a, is a, just a general like thing we're constantly working with companies on. And like, what does that look like? What does that sound like as a manager? Um, but then on a more practical level, just like, uh, you know, a lot of companies think they're coming from a really good place when they say, um, we're going to not have any meetings on Wednesdays. Like that's your work day. We're going to stack our meetings on Mondays and Wednesdays, which does sound really nice in theory. Like, so you can have a full work day, but if you're a parent, maybe you only have childcare on 
Wednesday. So like, it's not helpful when they decide like your most strategic work time. Um, So helping companies like understand that and analyzing like, well, how do you factor in everybody's unique situations and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. A question I have. So I know an individual, I'm going to speak very generically here. They have great parental leave at their company and they feel as if they take the full time allotted, they're going to be penalized for it. So does that come Mm -hmm. up for you a lot too, where it's like you see um, people afraid to take the benefits that are offered because of the repercussions? Because what I'm hearing you say through all this is like, I'm, I'm like, it sounds great, but I haven't had a quote real job even before um, I got pregnant. And I'm like, my previous bosses would have cared less about what you were talking about. It's like, they would want me whether I had a kid or not to make whatever they wanted to work work. And that was the cultures that I had been a part of, even though from the outside, it appeared as if they were very progressive and Mm -hmm. they spoke the language that you're speaking, but in practice, it didn't happen. Do you find that happening often in companies that you're working with? I mean, that's, that is the inherent problem. I think what you just said, um, I mean, yes, this like culture of fear, especially for parents, but specifically women and like, okay, so you're saying I can go off camera right now to breastfeed, but if I go and do that, are you going to think I'm not a team player? And then like, what does that mean for, you know, I mean, the companies that are hiring us clearly do care about this. Otherwise they wouldn't be hiring us. I wish there were more companies that cared, you know, like not just because, Hey, that means more business for us. But I think that speaks to the point of like what you're saying. Like, we're not just saying like, we care about this. We're actually showing our employees. So I mean, like I always say to people, um, no one cared about diversity, equity, inclusion until black lives matter last summer when it became a PR crisis. Like it's the same sort of thing, you know? Um, the companies that we work for, I can say, do care about their employees. They might not be doing the things we want them to, but that's why we're there. We're there to kind of like be that outside voice to say, hey, like you, you exactly what you just said, like you have the greatest policies in the world, but it's, you're not doing them or people don't feel valued in the way that I think your policy, you want your policy to value people. What would you say to a mom or to a dad that is at one of those companies where like the policies are in place, but they're afraid to access them or they feel that they're being, um, I don't want to say like there's prejudice against them as a parent, but you know, they're being passed up for opportunities or they aren't having the same experience that they had before they became a parent. How would you suggest for them to navigate those experiences based on what you've learned so far through equity consulting? Um, so first you should pitch us to your HR company or your HR department. Um, (laughs) but, but for real, I think if you don't have like a, first, if you have a, if you don't have a parent affinity group, like that, I think is an immediate thing you could do to just build community and camaraderie. Um, and, and to help, you know, like consciousness raising is real. Having those conversations and realizing you're not alone, I think is really impactful and powerful. Um, so creating something like that, if it doesn't exist, if it does exist, you know, maybe saying let's put together some sort of, um, uh, talk or conversation with 
our HR department to let them know like what we're feeling or something like that. I think though, if you're going to have any sort of conversation, there needs to be like an actionable item and something realistic, like not just a complaint, but like a, Hey, for example, like just pretend it was like the breastfeeding um, camera situation. It could be something as simple as I want to be a part of these meetings. I'm being told that I can log off which ultimately gives me more work at the end of the day. If, you know, if I have to breastfeed, maybe at the beginning of each zoom, we just set a clear expectation. Like, Hey, if you um, turn off your camera, we know you're still present and that's okay. You know, just saying something as simple as that lets the team know, like you are still being a team player and people don't feel like there's going to be a repercussion for, you know, taking care of themselves or whatever. It's, it can be something as simple as that, but it, I think it needs to be called out um, by management so people know they are on their side. Yeah, I definitely want to um, speak to self-care because that's something I want to touch on. But before we jump to that, you um, said as you were speaking that the pandemic made things easier for you because you and Jill, Jill is um, the co-founder of Mission Propel, you had already been you had these tactics in place. You already had your, your strategies for, um, being a mom, a full-time mom and a full-time employee. How, how is that possible? I, prior to starting this podcast, I was just a full-time mom and felt like I never had enough time to get everything done. And, um, we have a mutual friend, Annie and I, her name is Leanne. And prior to recording this, interview, I was speaking with Leanne and I was telling her how excited I was to talk to Annie. And I was like, my real main question for her is I want to know (laughs) how does she do it? Because I feel like I would struggle to do one of the things you're doing and you're well, you know, you're a professor, professor, you're a CEO, you're a mom, you're now a school board representative. You um, are really involved in your community. Like I'm constantly seeing you participating in different boards. So it's like, literally, please tell us like, how? <laughs> I know that you already spoke to you and your husband have a lot, you know, that you have, you have a shared commitment to your family life. But aside from that, there's something that I'm missing. So <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think we, I, you're not missing anything, Julia. Also like, you should probably give yourself a break. I'm sure you can do more. I think I'm sure you are doing more than you think you are. Right. I think like we're also really hard on ourselves and like, okay. I don't think we should be undervaluing how important it is to have like a really equitable partner. So, um, for example, last night I was leading a political conversation with all of my elected representatives on police reform. Um, Steven and I had a very no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we gotta get things done. Um yeah. so like the night before, Steven and I touched base. I said, look, I have this thing. Here's exactly what I need from you. And he like he did it. You know what I mean? Like he showed up. Um and and you know, I think some people are like, well, you still had to tell him. I'm okay with that. Like that's something that I think in our relationship we understand the dynamics, it's just our personality. Da 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 da. I mean, God, I've read enough about the mental load at this point. And um, that's a, those are conversations we've had so many times. And to me, there's nothing inherent about like women can just do more things. No, we're like taught and we're, you know, we're groomed to be able to do all this. He wasn't, he has learned helplessness or was to a T. So it took many years of conversations. (laughs) Do I feel it is my responsibility as his wife to teach him that? 
fuck no. Did I have to do it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so can I tell you how intense I am? I like, I've said to Stephen, <laughs> I will feel like a successful parent if our two sons, if all of our children obviously vote, that's number one. <laughs> number two, <laughs> if our two sons are never seen as like a burden, but rather an asset to whoever their partner is one day, like that to me is we've done it. <laughs> Oh boy. I mean, that's one of the biggest arguments that my husband and I have is I'm like, I don't want to have to tell you. Like, I just want you to know to do it. Like, I just want you to know to do it. And right. I not have to tell you. Um, but and, you're not alone, right? Yeah. Maybe I just need to make peace with the fact that as long as I tell him to do it, he'll do it. No, right. he can learn. No, no, <laughs> he can learn. Okay. So for example, right now, Steven's not here um, two days a week. So I have all three kids in the morning um, before they go to camp, the two older ones go. And like I said, I want my kitchen to look a certain way. I don't want to be stressed out. So I've, you know, I said to G and to Adira, like, look, we're all on the same team. We're going to clean up this together. You want me to play with you? I would love to play with you. I can't play with you though until this kitchen is dirty or clean. So we're going to work together and then we can all play together. So he G who is four, I am teaching him to notice what needs to be done, right? Adira, I'll give one task at a time. But for G, for example, his like one of the things he likes helping me do is he'll clear all the dishes, he'll rinse them off, he'll put them in the dishwasher. And I will point out to him, like, look, because you're doing that, I can take care of the floors. Adira's cleaning the tables, and now we have more time to play. So one, like pointing out the benefit, but the other thing is I'll say, Okay, you're you took the your dish in Adira's dish. I want you to look around. Do you see anything on the counter? And he'll be like, yeah, I see another fork. Great. Then you need to take it and go put it into the dishwasher. So not just like do this task, but then assess what else needs to be completed. Because this isn't about being able to check something off a list. This is about being able to assess like, how do I function in a household and contribute without just being told what to do? <laughs> oh boy. So did you borrow that parenting philosophy? Because I mean, it sounds a lot like things I've read and heard, but where did you just naturally come to that on your own? Or is there certain resources that help guide the way that you're teaching your children? So a lot of our, okay, my discipline stuff is very much stuff I like learned from the classroom. And that's a lot of what Jill and I have built um, you know, if you talk to Leanne and positive discipline, like that's a thing we deeply believe in. that has been, I think, shifted since I've been a parent. But so a lot of that came from the classroom. A lot of it, I think, is I just have like a natural empathy for children, which I think everyone needs to have if you don't want to feel escalated all of the time. This, this helpfulness thing that I just told you about, I was doing it to an extent, but I will tell you my game has been up since I read the book, um, Hunt, Gather, Parent. Yeah. Have you seen this one? I listened to it. I almost want to read it because I like absorb things better when I read, but I, I listened to the audiobook. Okay. So I listened to it too, but I bought the book. I didn't love the section on social emotional learning. Like I don't believe you should. I actually am a fan of scaring my children not to do something, but not because I'm lying to them, but like the truth, right? Like yeah. if you put your hand on the stove, it is going to burn your skin off. Like that I am fine with saying, I don't think I should be like, cause there's a monster in the oven that's going to eat you. Like I wasn't down with that part of the book, but <laughs> how did you feel about that part? Um, I mean, 
very similarly. Like my daughter always wants to crawl over the back of the couch. And one time she landed on her face and her nose was bleeding. So now it's like, if you crawl over the couch, like we might have to go back to the doctor. So like, let's not do that. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much. And she probably listens to that, right? Never has done it since. Yes, exactly. And that's a natural consequence to not following. I think that's fine. And like, Adira, before the age of two, broke her elbow and her collarbone. <laughs> I know, that's horrible. <laughs> that was, you know, it, that just happened. Um, but but she remembers it, right? Like she said, I don't want to go to the hospital. <laughs> um, so if I just tell her, like, Adira, you do that, I'm going to end up in the hospital. She's like, noted. <laughs> um, but but the, the helpfulness stuff she talks about is a game changer, I will say. Um I, I do like, I like the idea of like, if you say clean up your toys and they say no, you just say, okay. And you move on to something else, like, and then not making a power struggle and looking at it more as like a long-term game. Like that has alleviated a lot of conflict, I think. So I, I do support that section of the book. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't even remember where we started from this um, conversation, but I appreciate it. Oh, really how do I, how do I do it? Uh Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So being really strategic with my time. So this is something we do talk and teach. I mean, like we have a structure to our day, right? I mean, I think everybody needs to have a routine and structure. I know that that is not easy for everyone. So that is something we help people do. Um, So again, Stephen and I both know what our roles are at each point of the day. We know. So for example, if he's doing breakfast because he's home, like he cleans up, like that's all expectations are set. And that is a conversation we had. I mean, the day we went into lockdown, we were like, okay, let's sit down and figure out how many hours do you need for work? How much do I need for work? How are we going to get this done? Who's going to be in charge of kids at what point of the day? Like we talked all that through. Um, and I think for kids, it's really, really important to know like expectations. Um, and the work stuff again, I like, okay, so right now I have this baby, (laughs) um, this, this baby and you know, like if he's in a good mood and laying on a mat, that's what I'm sitting and doing emails. If I, I mean, I was emailing you while I, he was just like laying on me like, or breast, I'm breastfeeding and I can be messaging. And then I like the tasks that I need two hands and I need to focus. Like I reserve for nap time. Like I'm thinking strategically about my day when I have quiet time, when I don't, um, right now I'm not working at nighttime cause I go to sleep at like eight 15, but when the baby goes back, you know, when he goes, I can safely presume he's going to sleep through a night. Like I probably will work at night. I'm okay with that though. That doesn't burn me out. Um, and when I work at night, usually like those are the like extras, if you will. So like, um, you know, my volunteering and stuff. And even like when I, okay, so I was running for school board. It was like a way bigger campaign than I ever thought it was going to be. And I had that backwards plan from day one. So I made like a chart of every single task that needed to be accomplished between September and April 4th with due dates and who was going to do it. And like, I had it all mapped out. So it didn't have to like sit in my head. I could like strategically plan meetings and stuff like that. Um, because I didn't want to feel like overwhelmed. So I, I usually like backwards plan and think through things. Um, yeah, I think that was a lot. The biggest takeaways for women who are sitting in my seat currently that are like just managing their children (laughs) alone is plan, like have a plan, have a plan with your partner, have a plan for yourself and 
write it down, you know, particularly for yourself, but not necessarily with your partner. Maybe that would be helpful. But planning seems to be how you're making it happen right now. Yeah. And even that, that could be like on Google Cal, like I had like five tasks I wanted to complete yesterday. And I just like loosely put them into my day just so that like, I could remember to do one because, you know, I'm like sleep deprived right now. And I want to make sure I, I remember to get it was like little tasks. But then when you look at it, those little tasks over the day, like added up to like a pretty decent workload yesterday. Sure. Um, so yeah, uh, I think just understanding, you know, right now I'm like nap training. So I'm not going to be scheduling anything in the afternoons anymore. <laughs> like you're probably my last thing that I'm going to be doing because it's more stressful. And I'd rather stick to if I can get to this email or get in writing or whatever I need to do in an afternoon, great. And I'll do my talking stuff in the morning when I know the baby is going to be napping on me and it's like a guaranteed nap, you know? Um, So thinking through that kind of stuff. Well, I'm glad that you snuck this in (laughs) and uh, I'm glad that you take care of yourself. And that was something I really wanted to touch on. Um, You were featured in Seriously Badass Women, which it seems to be just an online blog. Is that correct? She's like created this whole community. She has a blog. She, um, Shannon Downey, who started as really cool. She like is traveling the country with this like yeah. quilt she made and all that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, that's what that is. <laughs> I was like, I got real lost on that website when I found you. Cause then I started looking at some other badass women, but on that interview, you said, if we want radical change, giving women the space to take care of themselves is necessary. And what I want to know from you, Annie, is how can we give more women more space to take care of themselves? I mean, it again comes down to like planning, right? And and not yeah. feeling bad to do that. Like this morning I worked out and guess what? My husband had to like be with all three kids and you know what? He lives and I deserve to work out. so i i I mean i think defining what those things are jill and i always joke like um listening to a podcast and folding laundry is not self-care that's nice but you're still folding laundry for your family you know what i mean i saw something about like going to target is not self-care because you're still thinking about like your husband's deodorant and i would agree with that like you need something completely for just you Yeah. There's, um, a person in my life who frequently is like, Oh, it's so nice. You got to go to the grocery store without Sloan. I'm like, yeah, that was nice, but that doesn't like do anything for me. I was still at the grocery store. Um, so yeah. Yeah. You were thinking about what your kid needed or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And planning and cooking or my planning meals and cooking are two of my least favorite things to do. So, um, yeah, going to the grocery store alone is not self-care for me. And, uh, yeah, I want to totally switch gears here just to be respectful of nap time. And Wait, can I say um, something, Julia? Yeah, 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 I also sure. think like you naming that you hate cooking is wonderful. Like I, I will, my kids, eh, it's not so bad anymore, but like I don't want to eat what my kids want and they don't want to eat what I want. And I don't want to eat what Steven wants and Steven doesn't want to eat what I want. And I'm okay with that. Like mm-hmm. I don't feel I need to create a four course meal for my family. And that doesn't make me a good mom. If I don't do that, like, no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> do you at the same time, though? yeah, we all eat together. I just like, especially post baby, I have like diet restrictions for myself that I know work and I want to like, it makes me feel good. And they're not going to be eating egg whites on avocado toast. Like I just know that. And I'm not going to waste my time 
And some people would argue that's not okay. And we should all eat the same thing, but you know what? I really don't care. Yeah. If they want to eat frozen dino bites in the air fryer, you know what? They're made of broccoli. I'm so excited for them. <laughs> I don't have that. I have to add that on. Yeah. Sloan, she more or less eats what we eat, but I also like plan what I make based on what I know that she'll eat. So I don't have to cook multiple things. So right. maybe I got to start dividing and conquering on that too. No, you're doing it the right way. It's just, I don't want to eat what I know they're going to eat. And like it, but let me say what I'm doing does add, not add any more time. Like if it okay. added more time, then I wouldn't do it. But like everything I'm doing for myself or them is pretty quick or I meal prep on Sundays and like cut, like we like to roast or like barbecue veggies and like have veggie dogs like once a week. Like, so I'll cut up all the vegetables on Sunday. So it's just like super easy. Yeah. Yeah. Meal prep has not ever been something I've been good at, but every year it's on my, like, I don't do resolutions, but I'm like, okay, this year is going to be the year that I do X and meal prep is always on it. And it has yet to happen in the last 10 years. So maybe 2022 will, it'll be the year for meal prep. 2021, we've made it happen. It hasn't happened yet. So who knows? Or maybe you just don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Or you involve Sloan in that process, right? Like you're asking, how do I get all this done? Well, that's like something she can be a part of. And then it's not, it's not like you're still with her. You're still having quality time and you know, that's how you get it all done. For sure. Um, So one thing that I really want to talk about more so because I'm personally curious. And then the other thing, because I know quite a few other people who are going through it right now is um, what's the experience like having multiple kids? Like, what has it been like for you? You had your first kid and then you had another kid and you had another kid. What is it like? Like right now, Sloan is like the center of my universe. How do I have two universes? Like what is it like <laughs> to have multiple universes out there in the world? Um, well, you know, uh, it's, I think louder. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know when, once you have your second kid, you're like, Oh my God, why did I even think one was like a thing? <laughs> like, why did I think this start? The first time I was left alone with Adira, like when she was a baby, I was like, Oh, this is so quiet and nice. Whereas I feel like, you know, when she was, a, you, those first couple of weeks are like, this is so hard. And you're like, Oh, that's a breeze. And now yeah. like with, thank God, Jude is like, just, easy comparatively like he's still a baby you know he still screams but like comparative (laughs) G had really really bad reflux I feel like having a kid that's like sick from at the beginning like makes the other two just seem easier so that I think was real is that was helpful um and uh, what's the question what's it like um like yeah how does it what has been the experience like how have your relationships been different with them how have they been the same like do you have you know is it like one kid like oh this is how I relate to them and then it's different with the other kid like all I know is my one kid and I couldn't imagine having like another one even though I want another one like I'm just like how does that even how does your brain and your heart fit all of that extra space (laughs) I mean, it definitely fits the extra space because then you learn about them and you learn like who they are. And I will say like, it's so weird. Like I've, I know you have a sibling, like to see how much they're impacted by one another is like really interesting. And to think about like, let's say if Sloan was an only child versus having a sibling, like how truly different their personality she could be 
like watching that happen has been really, really cool and interesting. Like, um, I'm watching Adira become a middle child, like before my mm-hmm. eyes and, and I'm a middle child. So I have empathy for her, but also just like why due to circumstance, like certain behaviors happening that I cannot stop. Like one night G was having just like an awful tantrum and was really upset. And the baby was screaming and Adira was just being like, can someone play with me? And no one was playing with her. And and she was like throwing things. And I like literally watched a light bulb go off over her head. Whereas she was like, Oh, not to self. You want attention in this family? You throw things, get it. (laughs) So she started throwing things. I was like, wow. So I I was like, Steven, grab a deer. So he like took her upstairs and like read to her to like, cause I didn't want her to like take that lesson from that moment. I was like, I'll deal with the two screaming ones. Because that to me is, I can manage that. What's more important to me right now is that Adira is not walking away being like, got it. (laughs) So yeah, it's been really interesting, like watching their personalities shift based on one another. And it's also, it's cool too. Like G when he, you know, when Adira was born, he was two and like, he cared about her, but he didn't like really care about her. Whereas like with this baby, he is like so sweet and wonderful. And like back to that book, like he truly feels that it is his job to like make sure Jude is okay. And it's very cool. Love, yeah. That's so cool. I think, I mean, it, it, it would be tough at two to bring that on, but I could see how at four and a half taking on that caregiving role. Did, did he have like a baby doll or anything that he was attached to or not so much? No. And I like tried that, right? Like he had a little stroller and all that. He like could care less, but he, yeah, he's so like, if Jude starts crying, he's like, don't worry about me, I'll go take care of it. And like, he does, like, he will get Jude to stop crying. And Adira is watching him. So Adira also is like, very, like, they are just so sweet to him. They're like, <laughs> Adira uses my same language. Like, if he's crying, she'll go, I know Jude, I know baby Jude, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> because you have helpers there to help you with your other children. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and definitely like, you know, and it makes them feel good. Like, and if they don't want to help me, I don't push it. Like, I don't want them to think like it's their obligation or anything. Yeah. Um, Well, that kind of is a good segue into one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about, which was gender justice, because that's not a term that's super popularized at the moment. And it sounds like you have brought gender justice into your home because you got your son and your daughter both caring for your son and you're very, like you say you'll be a successful mom if your two sons can grow up and have the mental load awareness that women have. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit for those that are unfamiliar with the concept of gender justice? Cause that's what you more or less teach at Roosevelt university. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, gender justice is like just the new women and gender studies is what they call it. Okay, so uh, yeah. That where, that's what the direction it's going in. Okay. And so yeah, talk about that, and then talk about how you're, using what you know from gender justice as a parent? I mean, the second I found out I was pregnant with a boy, I was like, oh God, I know girls so well. This is my business. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that's when we pivoted to make sure we were like gender inclusive because I'm like, okay, I feel like there's so much programming. Listen, we know that the world treats women like garbage. And when you say we, you mean Mission Propel, correct? For what? Mission Propel. You were like, oh, when we pivoted, you met your business. Oh yeah, yeah, Mission Propel, yeah, yeah, because we used to only really serve girls. Um, 
but I wanted to make sure that we were like giving boys tools because I mean, the world is obviously horrific to women. Um, but if boys are not taught how to be full human beings, like none of this is going to change, you know? Um, and so I just felt like this like deep sense of urgency around that. And I still do, um, that my sons, especially like Adira is going to know she's a super smart, strong, beautiful, incredible, wonderful, insanely goofy human. Right. I'm going to make sure she can, she knows that I will say like having a daughter and seeing the comparisons, which I can talk to you about, like the amount of times people tell her she's cute. It makes me, she is really cute. Like I'm not going to lie, you know, but like she already at two sees that as a part of her identity. Um, and it sucks. <laughs> like I, I, because that's not how G sees himself. You know, I don't really know though, how he sees himself. Like it's no one's, he was so sports obsessed that I feel like everyone just like really latched onto that. Um, and she has tons of interests too, but like no one talks to her about her interests. They talk to her about how cute she is or like what she's wearing. And it sucks. Um, so at least now she'll go a powerful. Um, if someone <laughs> says something, to her, um, which I appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. and her name means powerful. So like, she knows she's like, I idea the powerful. Um, but so yeah, I, upon G's arrival into this world, you know, I tried to create this like very gender neutral, if you will, world for him, like always offering everything. Um, and I gotta tell you, Julia, the older he is getting, the more and more my heart breaks because it's just so like gender norms are so pervasive that you could be in this beautiful, wonderful feminist household and around these wonderful feminist people. I'm like, I can't combat it in so many ways. I mean, we, I can combat it by having conversations, but like he has been isolated for a year and the messages he gets are still so strong. How many books do I have about how anyone can wear whatever color they want? Right. Like all of these things. And the other day I was playing with him and I was like, Oh, can I have this Lego? And he's like, you can have the pink one. And I was like, why? And he was like, because you're a girl. And I was like, but okay, Jay, like, do you see me wearing pink every day? And he's like, no. I'm like, so why is pink for a girl? And he's, he couldn't tell me, but like, I mean, I literally have a book for him called pink is for boys, (laughs) you know? And it's just so, I know why he thinks that he can't articulate it to me, but every girl character in every show he watches is pink. Like, and I make sure that there's always an equal amount of girls in the shows he watches, which is few and far between. So we have very limited content in our house, but like, it's still there, you know, like he's still getting those messages that girls are more feminine and blah, 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 blah. But then he also, I am his mom. Like, so the other day we were picking, he's really into dinosaurs. Like he was coming up with who, if, if that person he knew was a dinosaur, what would they be? And like, he was like, Adira would be a stegosaurus because she's a girl and girls are really powerful and strong and stegosauruses are really powerful and strong. So I was like, okay, so you're getting it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, constantly having conversations. Um, And for me, just making sure that especially my sons have really strong emotional, they're emotionally literate and can access the full range of their emotions and that they're good listeners to women. And Steven, he knows he plays a very important role in this. Like there's a really good book. This is for all the listeners. Um, Peggy Ornstein. I really love her. She has a book called boys and sex and it, 
she gives this example of like these boys that she interviewed and they all were like, yeah, my dad's this wonderful feminist dad. But like when it came to articulating our emotions, like the mom would say something and they would just like go like, and walk out of the room. Like they had no modeling of like, how do you manage conflict or, you know, whatever. And, um, not only do I want my boys to support women, but there is so much data around and studies around like once boys turn the age of 14, they like stop valuing relationships with other boys or rather their friendships change and they can't confide in them. And then it becomes like the emotional burden to either their mom or their girlfriend. And I, one, don't want that to happen to women. And two, like, that's so sad to not be able to have a strong relationship with someone like you love. Um, And I want them to have that. And that, you know, I don't want them to grow up and be lonely. And that's, um, a large reality for most men in our country because of toxic masculinity. And I don't want that for them. For sure. Uh, on a podcast for moms, I'm really about like making motherhood a revolution and everything you said sounds like you're using motherhood to create a revolution, not only for your daughters, but for your sons. And I think that's really the missing piece right now is bringing the same level of awareness to boys as we do to girls. And I feel really similar to if I have a boy someday, I'm going to be like, okay, what do I do now? Cause I've spent my whole life focusing on women. And, um, yeah, so I, I will glean a lot of what you said. If that, the opportunity ever comes where I need to speak to a boy or raise a boy and, um, I'm just curious what else you have to share and if there's anything else you want to talk about how motherhood has been, how it's radically changed your life or something that you wish other moms knew that you knew now or know now that you didn't know when you first became a mom or is there anything that you just are like, this needs to be known about my life as a, a woman and a mom? I don't know. That's such a big question. <laughs> that is a big question. Um. I don't know. Like, I just, I think if we were kinder to ourselves, we, uh, I think there are things that need to like, to your question of like, how are you doing all this? Like there are tools and things obviously that are well integrated into my house. We have clear boundaries. We have clear roles, all of those things. So I feel well supported. I think my kids feel well supported. I think my husband feels well supported. Um, And I know what to expect with that. I also think I'm like not very hard on myself um, because I know that my kids are happy and I'm, I know that because it's not even about how, I don't know. I view my job as a mom and I tell them this all the time. My job is to keep you healthy and safe. Like that's bottom line, my job. The other things are just bonuses. So if I'm keeping you healthy and safe, like goal achieved, (laughs) you know? Um, And so I don't know. I I think like having something to measure your success, if you will, against like can kind of put things in perspective. I also, we have family values that we like measure our decisions based off of, which I think is really helpful. Um, So, you know, like when Steven and I are like, okay, what do we want to be as parents or how do we want to handle this situation? Like we can match it against like, well, does that align to our values? And if it does great, if it doesn't, then we don't do it, you know? Um, and like, and how do we experience those values? Sure, sure. Um, being honest is one. Uh, always communicate is another. And then the last one, we call it always be a punk, 
which means like question authority, question everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I want that going to work when your, your kids start to question you. Are you going to be? They do. Open? Okay, great. Yeah, of course. But yeah. I mean, that's part of like, I, I, you know, we are never saying like, you do this because I said so. Like, yeah. one, what? what are you trying to accomplish with that statement? Are you trying to accomplish that you're teaching respect? Okay. Well, you don't teach respect. You show respect, you model respect. Right. Um, I never just asked them to do something because I said so, you know what I mean? Like there is always a reason. So if they have a question, like, let's talk about it. You might not like my response, but we can have a conversation, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a, when I say jump, you say how high household, literally. So I appreciate the, uh, giving space for dialogue there. Yeah. I I don't know. Like I have interviewed so many of my friends who have like really healthy relationships with their siblings. Cause that to me is like, how, how, like, how'd your parents do that? I want that. I want to understand that. I want that for my kids. And I, one thing I have a friend who has, um, three siblings and their house it's just like this most wonderful, loving place. You know, all the kids have moved back to be by their parents. Like, how do you do that? So like, I've been like, what did your parents do? You know? And one thing she said, like on Shabbat, which is Friday night, Sabbath, right. They would just sit around and talk about ideas. And their parents would just like, ask them like what they thought about things. And then because of that, they like felt valued and like respected and heard. And I think when you build that foundation, for your kids, like, why wouldn't as adults, why wouldn't you want to go to a place that you knew, like, was a safe place to share ideas? And, you know, like, that's so cool. (laughs) For sure. That's my, I've been asking um, people I know that have really healthy relationships with their moms. And I'm like, how did, how did you get there? Like, tell me more (laughs) about that. So you should start to compile those interviews, particularly around like siblings. Um, I think a lot of people would be interested in, in hearing what you, uh, what you find out from that work. Yeah. I mean, it's usually it's that or like there was no competition between siblings. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how did your parents do that? Because I don't know that life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I know I saw someone the other day online and she was like speaking to her kid and she was like, she was trying to be funny, but she was like, this is what your sister does and you should be more like your sister. And I was like, mental note, please don't ever say that to your second future child when they come to be. Um, yeah, that's just, that's not going to be helping the future for anybody. So. Yeah, definitely not. And, and again, like seeing them as individuals, you know, like both my kids are so chatty. Um, they talk constantly and, um, you know, like, just right now trying to teach G like Adira's voice is important too. And like, you need to give her space to talk and like, you can't talk over her. And that doesn't mean we don't want to hear what you have to say, but like, you got to wait your turn, you know, like, and and just thinking about like the language of all of that. (laughs) 100%. Now completely shifting gears before we wrap up today, something that is really important to me is having us talk a little bit about your conception journey, specifically with your son, Grant, you shared a blog back in the day, you wrote a blog called IVF time. So I got to read a lot about your experience that so it was happening. And I want to hear a little bit, if you're open to it about what it was like as you were going through IVF and your experience conceiving your second two children, if you're open to sharing. 
Yeah, um, no problem. And I'm, I'm happy and open to sharing about it because I just think it's so important um, because I still take so many calls with people who are like, oh, my friend is about to start doing IVF. Like, can you talk to her or whatever? Because mm-hmm. there's just so much to it. It's so complicated. And when you're in it, so little information is given to you. And I was very lucky that um, one of my really good friends, she is a what's it? Sonographer, like can do your ultrasounds, um, for fertility clinics. So like when I first started, I went to her. So she would tell me exactly what I was looking at. And because of that, I was able to understand what was happening. And I I think if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have been able to advocate for myself in the way that I ultimately needed, which, you know, I think most everyone I know who goes through IVF has to like advocate for themselves. Um, but in short to conceive grants, it took, five rounds, well, five, four retrieval, five retrievals uh, of my eggs, and then five transfers to get him, plus a couple other surgeries, which at the age of 29 was a lot considering I had um, no diagnosis, which was what was like really frustrating. Like I always felt like, God, could you just tell me I have PCOS or I have low ovarian, whatever, I don't know, like low egg count, like they didn't know what was wrong with me. And that was what was really, really frustrating in my heart of hearts. I believe that like birth control fucked me up and my body didn't know how to move forward because I always, I was on birth control when I think about it, like almost 15 years. That's, that's crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I started when I was like 16, like it's just nuts. So I feel like my body didn't know what to do. And then when I eventually got pregnant and I can talk more about like the IVF stuff in just a moment. But when I eventually got pregnant, I had grant, which I had that whole process. I feel like really made my pregnancy, like just this like umbrella of trauma sat over it. Like I was just so nervous all of the time. And then I had grant and I was able to breastfeed. And that was like a shocking thing to me. Like I just didn't expect that my body would work. Like I kept feeling like along with pregnancy and then along having, uh, being able to breastfeed, like, wait, but like my body doesn't work. Like I just was told that for the past two and a half years, you know? Um, and then, and so breastfeeding was a horrific journey, but I did not quit because I was like, my body is finally working. Like we're going to figure this out. I do not care. (laughs) Um, and that's how I feel. Breastfeeding has sucked with all three of them, but I stay committed because I'm like, oh my God, I get to do this. Like I don't lose sight of that. To me, it is a privilege, a horrific privilege. I hate it, (laughs) but it is a privilege. Even this time around, like where that, that world seems so far away. It was like four years, you know, four and a half years ago at this point, it's still like, I think we'll always like that trauma of that will be there. Um, and so then, yeah, I breastfed for a year and then a week after being done with breastfeeding, I got my period and, and it was shocking to me because the whole reason I even started down this like fertility road was I never got my period back after going off birth control. So I got my period. I started crying. I was at like a play space <laughs> with like Grant. And I came out, I was like, I got my period. Cause it like shocked me. Cause I was like, holy yeah. shit, my body is working again. And so I was like, well, if I'm getting my period, like I can try to have a baby. Like I don't need IVF. And mind you, I, I had, um, really good embryos in the freezer. So I was like, well, let's try to have a baby. 
So we had sex. And after one time, I got pregnant and it was like Whoa, shocking. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Then I had a miscarriage. Okay. So I was like, well, and, and by that, and honestly, like the miscarriage, it sucked. It was horrible. I was pretty far along, like not very far along, but I was almost out of my first trimester. So I went to our fertility doctor. I was like, look, I am not going down this road. I am not going to go have a bunch of miscarriages when I have healthy, wonderful embryos in the freezer. We put together a plan. And I was like, we're going to try naturally for three months. If it doesn't work, we'll go down the IVF road. I had sex one more time, got pregnant again. That is Adira. Like, shocking. Um, so had Adira. Jude. <laughs> I, I We weren't going to have another baby until I wanted the kid. I wanted Adira to be like three because I wanted everyone to be in school. Because I will say... Having Gianna Dira, I had zero help. I've never had help. Okay. Um, Stephen has always gone back to work like a week and a half in. My mom lives in Florida. I've always been by myself. Um, it was no very like no babysitters. When um when I taught, I would have a babysitter just for that time. Okay. So like I was, I, I was always working during nap times and whatever, and then taking care of the kids. So those first like five, and I never, so like with Adira, I didn't see, start teaching until she was five months old. So I had no help until then. And I will tell you those first three months were very hard. Cause she was like two in the prime time of like major tantruming constantly. We were lived in the third floor walk up. Like it was really rough. So I was like, Oh, I know how people have multiple children. One of them is in school. Like that's what I learned. Um, so the plan was let's not do this until um, everyone's in school. And then the pandemic hit, and I was like, "Well, Stephen, let's do some math here. One, you'll be home, and I will have help if we have a baby now. And two, if we don't have a baby now, we will not go on a vacation by ourselves for three years, and that is horrific." <laughs> And that's what did him in <laughs> um, because we were supposed to go on a vacation right when the pandemic hit. So like, you know, so we were like, okay, let's have this baby. So we were like, let's try. If it doesn't work, we'll, you know, go IVF. And then first try again, I got pregnant. <laughs> like, It's just crazy. Yeah. And that's so wild. And I'm happy that we got to talk about this because in my head, I was like, oh, has she done IVF three times? Like, how did she do all, how did she do IVF with having another kid? And and it's just so miraculous how the body can shift over time. So thank you so much for being open and sharing that because hopefully this will give hope to a mom out there that maybe feels like that's going to have to be her, you know, track every time. And I mean, for some people it is, and that's beautiful that they're able to have their babies, but how awesome that, you know, you had that experience and then you got to have the other experience too. Yeah. I mean, I want to say, cause I feel like when I was going through IVF, people would be like, well, I know this one girl who won, you know, then she was fine. And, can, and, and that gives you such false hope. And my body is my body. But again, I do have those embryos in the freezer. And I think the difference though, if I were to go do it again tomorrow and I have the other kids, it would be easier because those embryos are already there getting to the place where I got those embryos Plus I had this thing called an ERA, which is an equal, equal, equal rights men. I know um, endometrion receptivity array test where mm-hmm. the time that I got pregnant with Grant, they had done a test where basically they like tested the lining of my uterus, knew exactly how much medicine to give me. 
and then I got pregnant. So like they have all that information now. Um, but it was unfortunately a lot of trial and error to get to that place because we don't know a lot about women's bodies. Um, so I think, you know, if I were like, Oh, I want to go have another baby and I wanted to use these embryos, like one, we wouldn't have to get eggs out. So like that's surgery done. You know, I wouldn't have had to go through, I wouldn't have had to wait through genetic testing, like all of that. And they would have known the protocol. Um, so I think it would have been easier and I think there's also that the mental element of like, I already had a kid, like what it was, what was so difficult leading up to grant is like, not only did I not know what was wrong with me, like, I was like, okay, am I ever going to get to be a mom? Like, you know, and I, we were going down the road of adoption. Um, but even that's really hard and difficult and costly. And, you know, so there was just like so many unknowns, whereas like, I think I would have had I would have made my peace. Like, okay, we have our one kid and that's okay. Like I, it would have been a, a different pill to swallow, but I think for me, a, a more easily, I, I would have been able to swallow it easier. Definitely. And I'm so happy you brought up to the, um, you know, don't tell people other people's stories. Cause I think that we always want to like comfort people by being like, I know someone that they had this experience and it's like, just let the person's experience be their experience. Cause everyone's experience is so different and unique. And I will link it because you on the IVF times, you did have a post about like things not to say to people going through IVF. And so I'm going to include that specific <laughs> post in the show notes because, um, I think people mean well, like when I said that I was like, well, meeting of like, oh yeah, hopefully this will give someone else hope, but it's like, or maybe it won't, or maybe someone's like, shut up, you know, nothing about me and my body and what could happen. And I don't want to hear it, you know? So it's like, maybe we just keep our mouth shut and let people have their experiences <laughs> and be like, how can I support you in this experience that you're having? Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that's something that's been super annoying for me. I had really bad postpartum. And when people would be like, oh, it's okay. You know, it's like, no, I'm not okay right now. So like, stop telling me it's going to be okay. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a nice way to end this is, um, let's let everyone have their own experiences. I'm really (laughs) happy that you had your positive experience and, um, thank you so much for sticking on to, to share that because, again, such a great, um, great reminder. And I'm glad we got to hear your story and I will include links to all the ways that everyone can get in touch with you, how they can help pitch to their HR department, equity consulting, because that's so important. And, um, yeah, I look forward to having you on again in the future because you are truly a radical mom. So thanks so much for being you and sharing all that you shared today. <laughs> and Julia, thanks for being you. Still the Zenish chillest gal I've ever met. <laughs> and it's so absolutely wonderful. And I think give yourself major props for how vulnerable and open you've been about postpartum because, you know, I think more and more people are talking about it, but I think when you know you have a friend that you can say like, how did you get out of this? Or, you know, like someone who actually gets it. I think that's really empowering and impactful thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed what you heard today please share this episode with your friends and you can help us grow by subscribing rating and reviewing a podcast for moms on your favorite podcasting platforms i'd love to connect with you feel free to direct message me on instagram at a podcast for moms or send me an email 
a podcast for moms at gmail.com. I can't do this alone. Together, though, we are a movement of moms revolutionizing the world through radical motherhood.